Hello everyone and welcome to this week's episode of Success in Finance. Joining me today is Laura Crespi. Laura graduated with a degree in biochemistry from Nottingham before joining Deloitte as an audit trainee. She stayed at Deloitte until audit manager level and undertook a secondment to the IFRS Centre of Excellence where she honed her technical accounting knowledge. Having completed her secondment, the opportunity to join Relix's group accounting function arose, uh, so she joined as a senior project accountant. After progressing to group financial reporting manager, Laura decided that she needed operational finance experience, so moved within the group to Elsevier. Here, she spent two years in Amsterdam. Having returned to the UK, Laura is currently Finance Director of Elsevier. I hope you enjoyed the episode and don't forget to subscribe, share and comment. You can also watch recent interviews, including this one on my YouTube channel. Thanks. Hi, Laura. Thanks for joining me on the podcast this week. How are you? I'm not too bad, thank you. Good. Um, Would you want to get us started then with a quick summary of your career today and then we can go in a bit more detail? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So, I mean, in a nutshell, I've been working for 14 years. It's gone really quickly. My first five years were with Deloitte in audit. uh, And then for the past nine years, I've been working for Relex Group in various divisions and doing various roles. um, And that's that's comprised a, a really broad variety of challenges, partnering with finance, partnering with the business, partnering with external parties in uh, in what is quite a complex international organisation. So pretty varied career, I would say. Yeah, good. Um, let's go back to the start then. So you, you did a biochemistry degree at Nottingham. What At what point did you decide you wanted to do finance or did you fall into it? Or yeah, just talk me through that. Yeah, the, the honest answer is that I fell into it. Um, I did biochemistry because it was an amalgamation of my two favourite subjects. I did A-level biology and chemistry and I couldn't decide. Um, and back, you know, I had a real, quite a curious person. So I had a real passion for science and I wanted to be a research scientist at the time. Um, however, I discovered as much as I loved the theory of the subject, I'm really not a patient person. So a career in research science wasn't for me. You know, those those guys are extraordinary. They work on the same thing for decades, um, and I wasn't going to be able to do that. So um, I I wasn't really sure what to do after I left university, to be quite honest. And my dad had a career in finance, so he he suggested that I apply to the big four. Um, but I will say, I mean, I don't think that my degree was wasted at all. I think there are loads of transferable skills from a science degree, whether that's you know, critical thinking or being forced to come up with with uh, reason or logic based arguments, it it, it has it, I've absolutely never regretted um, starting my my career that way. Cool, and and yeah, I think as well like when you do go into audit, obviously doing a finance and accounting degree helps, but mm. you, you don't really need it, do you? So sometimes right. it's quite nice to have done something different and and explored a different passion. Um, yeah. Yeah, so so you started at Deloitte then, obviously spent five years there, worked your way up to audit manager level, um, so stuck around longer than most. Um, <laughs> how, how did you find the ACA, uh, firstly? I am a bit of a geek, so I didn't mind the ACA, actually. I, I like studying regardless of the topic. Um, I was lucky in that I passed the exam, so it was quite a straightforward journey. I know it's not that easy for everyone. Um, I will say it, it took a huge amount of commitment 
to start studying again you know it feels like your whole life you've been studying and doing exams and then two or three more years is quite a big thing especially when you're first starting out in a career and you've got a bit of money in your pocket and your you know friends in other industries are going out every weekend and you really have to sacrifice that for the long-term goal um although I think for me studying for the ACA in you know at Deloitte was quite a sociable thing because you're there studying with your cohort your intake and it, it forges quite a bond because you're so stressed with work you know the world of work is new and, and the exams are pretty stressful so you know I, I definitely got to know people really well and, and formed some good friendships there but it is tough and if you're not if if you don't think you can commit to two years of studying then it's probably not for you. Yeah I mean what you've said is exactly the same as my experience yeah. I, yeah, you've got to work hard and be dedicated and say no to things, which is difficult when you're finally earning some money. Um, but equally, you make some really good friends. Like I'm, I was at BDO. I, I've still got loads of really good mates from my time there. Um, obviously, I only left a couple of years ago. But are you, um, are you still good mates with some of the guys from Deloitte? Yeah, one or two. Um, you know, I went to lots of. You know, quite a few different weddings of people over the years and things so it's a, yeah those, those high high stress situations always create really good bonds yeah and and did you with the exams themselves I think again sounds like you had a similar experience to me in that um I, I, w I wouldn't say I found them easy definitely not but I think if you dedicate yourself and do put the work in you should pass them really that is that what you found as well I think so I mean it's it's certainly not easy. I mean, partly it's the volume and, and let's be honest, some of the accounting rules aren't logical. You just think, you know, if anyone you know, listening has ever studied share-based payments, you think this makes no sense. You just have to learn the rules and try not to think about it too much. But um, it's not rocket science at the same time. So I think if you're able to put the work in, um, the, the payoff will be there. Definitely. Um, so, so in terms of the actual work then at Deloitte, Firstly, how did you find that first step into just a career generally? Mm -hmm. um, and what was Deloitte like in, in sort of welcoming you into that? But then what, what team were you in? Did you, I know the teams are slightly different in the different companies. We, was it sector based or company size based? Just just talk me through that if you wouldn't mind. Yeah, so, um, so taking the first bit, I mean, Deloitte and, and and all of the, the big accounting firms, I'm sure, are the same, incredibly structured. So people like an extension um, and everything's incredibly structured. Compared to you know, now I have um, a, a graduate on my team in, in industry who's who's doing ACA with us. And it's a very different, a, a very different experience for him. Um, because everything was just set up for these big graduate intakes. So you had these big residential training courses and um, a really, really clear path through. So I, I found it quite an easy way into the workplace, to be honest. Um, the I, I actually am probably unique in, in the clients that I had because I, I worked with lots of different teams. I audited charities. I audited local authorities. I audited some universities. Um, I audited small companies. You're talking, you know, lower than ten million dollars of revenue. I ordered some medium-sized uh, private equity-backed companies, which comes with a completely different set of focus. And I also audited listed companies, and the industry varied from construction to media. So, uh, yeah, I I pretty much saw it all. I think. 
that's that's really broad it's yeah quite surprising um I mean I guess we'll come on to this later on but did did that was that quite helpful in determining your next step once you did leave Deloitte having had that broad range I think it made me open-minded more than anything because there's you know, a listed company versus a charity. Um, most of the charities I audited were quite big, so they were professional organisations um, themselves. But it, it's very, very different. But there's something, there's always something you can find to enjoy. You know, I, I had a, a construction, me a construction I didn't think was a very interesting industry. But there's always something you find there that um, that sparks your interest and your curiosity. So uh, yeah, it actually taught me to be a bit more open-minded. I think you can find an interesting career regardless of what what your company's selling. It's not always about having the you know really exciting consumer product that everyone's heard of. Yeah, no, that's good to know. Um, so you'd advise trying to get a bit of variety if if it's all possible. Then. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I know lots of people, for example, really want to specialise, say, on the financial industry and banking audits. I did a little bit of that in the first year, and I think I spent three three months auditing cash. Um, so it's sort of, for me, I think I saw a lot more in, in those five years than than if I'd really, really specialised. Yeah. Um, so I guess, obviously, you stuck around to audit manager level. Mm-hmm. What Was there a reason behind that? I, I, I know from my experience and, and some of my friends who are still in audit, it, it's quite nice in that there's a clear progression path and once you start to get to that level obviously there's a big workload but you know what you're doing and you start yeah. to feel it feels quite nice that you know what you're doing for a change um because those That's first funny. couple of years can be quite stressful yeah. um so what was yeah what was the reason that you stuck around for for that long i think firstly um i was doing well i mean to be honest i i was getting good appraisals i had good feedback and good relationships with the senior you know, with the, the, the partners in my office. And it's actually incredibly difficult to walk away from a situation where you you are doing well because everything else is an unknown and a risk. And what if I move to industry and I mess it up and I'm not as good as I am um, at this? So that that kept me around for a while. Um, and also, you know, I think I was quite aware from talking to other people in the industry that you do move you, you move faster in the first few years in practice and industry, I think, and I'm sure there are people listening that might disagree with me, but I think because of that structure that you that you alluded to there and, and the, the clear steps, you move up quite quickly and you have quite a lot of responsibility um, quite quickly. And I think for me, as someone as a manager in their mid-20s who was dealing with senior partners um, very regularly, that level of experience, I don't think I would have had that young in industry. So, I mean, that, that really helped me when I joined Relics because I joined the corporate head office and everyone was there, the CEO, CFO, all of the, you know, the heads of the functions. And to not be intimidated by being questioned by very senior people um, was, was such a, so helpful, to be honest. Yeah, and I do think, I mean, that's something that I definitely took away from my time in order, just a thick skin because you've got, <laughs> I mean, from, from day one, you, you literally... I mean, well, it may have just been me, but you, you don't really have a clue what you're asking for yet. Yeah. I remember going up to the CFO of an aim list of business and you, you, you remember what you need to ask them. And then he asked you a question back and you're like, uh, uh, yeah, Uh-oh. Okay, you, you found me out. Um, 
So you yeah. just have to become quite resilient and, like you say, not intimidated by by those sorts of people. Yeah, learn quickly, um, and you you have a lot of a lot of exposure. And um, also, as a as an audit manager, you're managing small teams, and I think. You know, industry in general, finance teams are getting leaner now just because of the cost challenges on businesses. And so it's, again, very unusual to be that at that stage of your career and, and, and be managing small teams. That tends to come a bit later in industry. So I think that there are some real skills you can get in audit um, staying on a little bit later. But I think for me, it's also a balance because I think if you stay on too long, you're just all you know is the reporting area of finance and finance is a lot wider than that. So it, it then becomes quite difficult to join industry at a higher level I think. Yeah I mean that's that's always my perception especially now I've moved into recruitment as well I think I was more ignorant to it when I was in practice that once you if you stay beyond sort of audit senior level then you're not really learning much new that Mm. adds value in industry other than the technical stuff so fine if you want to te- uh, step into something technical but a lot of people don't um but yeah so you actually did a stint in the technical excellence did, team yeah. um how was that so as i said before i'm a geek <laughs> um it was i i really loved it i did about six months there i think and the so the ifrs center of excellence at deloitte um they probably rebranded it by now but it's uh sort of it, like an internal consultancy so an audit team would come to them and say look there's this really complex acquisition how do we account for this um and you spend half your day with a nose you know your nose in a book trying to work out the answer and consulting with different partners on on a, on how you think that should be done and I, I just found it really interesting because it was there was always a new challenge there was something different every day and um whereas it sounds really theoretical you actually got to see a lot of the practical problems of a client because these were, you know, these were real business problems that were that you were having to translate into the accounting. So, um, yeah, it, was, uh, it has also been a huge benefit for my career because I think I have a really solid technical base because of that. Um, so it's not for everyone. It's pretty niche, but, you know, six months of that and I, I've pretty much seen it all in terms of high uh, press application. Yeah, it's it's true. I mean, I, I know what you're saying, because when I was in audit, I always used to, um, I, I loved, whenever something technical came up and you have to write, like, your file note around it or whatever, I, I found it, like, really interesting. So you go away and do your research and then you write up and come to a conclusion. Yeah. And I think that, I don't know, I just found that really interesting. Obviously, you, you did as well. Um, yeah. But yeah, like staying to the longer you stay in audit from a technical perspective, you get exposed to to more technical things. Mm-hmm. But obviously, that just fast tracks it because every possible client in the business that might have something technical is coming to you. Yeah, exactly. So you must have seen so much, um, presumably across different industries as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all industries and and some you know some really weird and unusual stuff too. So it's, it, you just didn't know what you were going to get every day. So that was quite a nice um, a nice change from the day to day audit work. Yeah, and uh, also being able to have an actual desk rather than being out at clients. Yeah. <laughs> it felt like a luxury back then. You had your own desk. You could keep your stuff on it. You know, you had your drawers. You could put your snacks in there. And yeah, after, after being a, a nomad for three or four years, that felt really uh, luxurious and yeah. um, just before we talk about why you, you then decided to leave 
Um, just backtracking, you said like obviously you were doing really well. Um, what do you think enabled you to do really well and, and get your good appraisals and things like that? Yeah, I mean, I, I worked hard. I mean, the work was ridiculously hard looking back on it. I don't know how I had the stamina. So I, I put a lot into it. Um, I'm a clear communicator. I think that helped me with the partners. I was able to take something quite complex and distill that into a simple message. Um, yeah, I think it's yeah, it was, it was a, a combination of commitment and and um, probably just being able to speak to a wide range of people. Yeah, cool. Um, okay, yeah. So, so why did you decide to move on in the end? Yeah, so I think the first thing was I was I did find the pace and the hours a bit relentless. It's not everyone's experience, but it, it was mine. And there comes a point where. You, know, you just don't have the stamina to do that anymore unless you you know you're really desperate for that partnership role and then it pays off but um I I wanted to try something new too I mean you when you're an auditor you you only really um you see the surface of everything um so I thought I'd quite like to get get stuck into the business um and um I think also the job changes a lot like any job as you get more senior it's quite different and looking ahead and thinking once you're a director once you're a partner an awful lot of the job is actually about selling and winning clients and that is not something that ever appealed to me particularly and I don't think it would play to my skill sets very well so I decided the time was probably right because I think once you're into that senior manager director level you know it, the focus changes and as we were saying before it's it's often harder to to move across at that point yeah so so was it a case of you started actively searching for roles or you were just a bit more responsive to, to recruiters or how did it come about the opportunity with relics definitely the latter I wasn't I think I was too busy honestly to be actively looking so I was just more responsive and actually it was a friend of mine um who I worked with that sent me a job spec this company I never heard of it was Reed Elsevier back then um and said this would really suit you because it was a corporate role. So a lot of it was having that technical accounting expertise. And I was just coming out of my secondment at that point. Um, so I thought, hey, why not give it a go, see how it goes. And uh, yeah, about a month later, I was sort of handing my notes in and it, it felt like it happened really quickly. But um, yeah, I, I think I was just open minded at that point. And yeah, I guess firstly, do you just want to tell me a bit about what relics do yeah so i'm um, it's very rare that i find you know a friend or family member that's heard of relics it is actually a, a FTSE 100 company it's a huge it's a huge group um it's not a consumer group though our customers uh, are business business people or scientists lawyers um so it's definitely not uh, b2c but we um we are uh, an information and analytics company. There are four divisions. Um, so there's a scientifically focused division, one that's focused on legal professionals. Uh, we have a risk and business analytics decision that um, sort of provides information and analytical tools for people to take risk-based decisions around insurance and that kind of thing. And then we, we have an exhibitions division. So that's sort of face-to-face -face, uh, global events. Well, not so much this year, but typically it is. In a, in a normal year, it is. Uh, so it's, it's a huge group, um, well over 30,000 employees. I can't remember the exact number, and about $10, $10 billion of turnover. Wow, big, 
big. And and the exhibitions are they linked to the other the other sort of functions that you mentioned? Like are all the exhibitions driven by sort of legal or professional? No, no, it's a wide range of things. I mean, from um, you know property shows to comic uh, some of the comic con shows. Yeah, I, I thought you you guys yeah. did comic con. Yeah, okay, interesting. Um. So how was that first step into industry then? Because it, it's, I mean, obviously, I, I don't know what it's like at Relics, but it, it is different, the environment, isn't it? Yeah. Find the transition. Um, so, I mean, I found it quite difficult at the beginning that there was less structure. Um, you know, you, you have to fight for your own career when you get into industry. And that obviously wasn't a problem in the first six months because I was just getting my feet under the table. But you, you know that there isn't a path ahead of you that, um, okay, you've done two years here and we'll put you to a director panel. That that just doesn't happen in the same way. Um, so I think I found the lack of structure a bit difficult. And also you you work with a much wider range of people because you know, when you're in audit, you, you deal with your clients, but typically the finance teams. Um, and when you're working in industry, you're dealing with people in the business that aren't accountants. So there's, there's a much wider range of, of stakeholders that you have. And that that has good things and bad things about it. You know, I found it much more interesting learning about what people were doing. But you have to make sure you really adapt your communication because they don't have the same background as you. So you need to be really clear with them. Um, and the, the job also had a not to begin with. I was very much in a reporting role, but finance in industry has a much broader focus than it does um in, in order obviously so uh, but it wasn't for me I mean it wasn't like some kind of traumatic experience it wasn't so different I mean I was working with a lot of people with a similar background and everyone kind of empathized so um it, yeah it, it was fairly seamless I would say. Cool um so, so you did a couple of different roles there. I know you said it was it was quite technical but um you were a senior project accountant and a group financial reporting manager yeah. do you just want to tell me a bit about what you did in those roles and and the difference between the two how you went about because you talked about in industry and I agree having to drive your own career mm-hmm. where that started to play in and how you went about it yeah absolutely so I mean both of these roles were on the same team so the um the first one was the junior role in the team and uh to be honest it was a horizontal um move from Deloitte it it certainly wasn't a promotion um I mean I didn't I didn't move because it was a step up I moved because I wanted to do something different um so that role and working in that team um it's the sort of the group accounting team at Relic so our key our key output was the annual report investors and you know the half year report for investors so very much focused on financial reporting still um and the group financial manager role was the head of that team so i was working for the relex group controller uh, back then working really closely with with our cfo nick Luff, um on you know anything to do with external reporting basically but then also like internal accounting policies and we were at the same time a little bit of a center of expertise for ifrs so i suppose that first step was fairly easy that first promotion because I was in the team already and when the you know the incumbent moved on um into a new role I was probably the obvious choice I think I had I I didn't know that that my manager at the time was moving on and um Nick our CFO had just started and I had what I had an interview with him but I didn't know it was an interview he was just quizzing me on lots of different topics and I didn't find out until about a week later that it was an interview to see if I could if I could do the job and uh, they're, they're really keen on internal promotion so 
that one I'd say was a was a not something I had to fight for particularly. It was yeah. um, fairly natural progression. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. cool. Um, Okay, and then so you did that role for what another couple of years was it? Yeah, yeah right. And yeah. similar outputs, but more more managing, I guess. Yeah, managing yeah, the team. team or, yeah. yeah. And I had a lot more responsibility, and you know, I was reporting to the audit committee. Um, I you know I was managing a lot of the senior stakeholders, so head of tax, head of international relations. Um, you know that they would come to me uh, directly at that point, so a lot, a lot more responsibility. Cool. Um, all right, and then so the opportunity arose, presumably, or did you drive it to to move across into Elsevier? Um, did I say that right? Yeah, Elsevier. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and. Yeah, that's a different division of the business. Um, yeah, how, how did that come about? And and uh, yeah, just talk me through your your group FC and F well now FD positions there. Yeah, absolutely. So it um, when I would have career conversations with my manager, who's the, the group controller at Relics, it you know it's very obvious when you're working in a, a head office environment, you can do fairly junior roles, probably up to the point where I was, and then the next there's a huge gap between you and the next people because ahead of you, you've got all of the direct reports to the, the group CFO and, and, and to be a direct report to a FTSE 100 CFO, you're a very experienced person. You know, you're not, you're not someone with six, seven years experience in the workplace. So that you, you can't just sit in my experience, you can't just sit in a head office and expect to keep going until you make CFO. It doesn't work like that. You have to go out and you have to gain operational finance experience you have to gain commercial finance experience um and go out into into a business so I was very aware of that I was being advised of that um so I, I guess through performance reviews we were having those conversations about the fact that actually at some point pretty soon I was going to have to move out of that environment and then um because of some moves in Elsevier an opportunity came up so I, I uh, applied for that the um the group controller role was actually based in Amsterdam. I was in London at the time. So uh, I made a, I guess, pretty big decision to move internationally um, to Amsterdam to take that role on. I was there for two years. And the group controller role, it, it's uh, different to the Relics group controller role because you're not focused on the external reporting. It was a much more operational role. So whereas you're still you know, focused on the accounting and a bit of technical advice for the rest of the business there, you're also, you know, you're helping with cash collection. You're dealing with revenue, revenue recognition queries, helping advise on new contracts, um, looking at the control environment um, and how that works through the business operationally. So it was a much, much broader role. Um, Elsevier is a, a huge organisation. We've got about 7,000 people, about 300 in finance. So just all of a sudden, my world went from this sort of cosy, small head office where I knew everyone and knew the IT guy and the HR uh, context to this this huge organization and you're really you're really managing this matrix so it was yeah it was a that was probably a bigger difference to me than moving from Deloitte to Relix to be honest yeah especially in a new country where presumably you don't know many people either um yeah that, yeah, that was tough I mean I would 
I mean, I feel like I did three things at once because I my the role was a big step up in terms of seniority. I had a much bigger team. I had 16 people. I was actually younger than all of my team and it, it took a while for me to establish credibility with them. Um, it was a new company. I mean, it's part of the group, but uh, pretty, pretty decentralized. And it was a new country. And um, in hindsight, I would probably advise people just to do two of those three things at once because it, it really I felt like a rabbit in the headlights for a long, long time at that point. I, I have it, it's interesting you make that point because I've spoken to someone previously who was saying that um, when you do three big life changes at once like that can really knock you for six and sort of make you um, I don't know a bit I don't want to say unstable but it, it can sort of mess with you a bit and stress like anxiety yeah. and things like that and yeah I think I've done something similar where there was three changes and yeah it was it was a bit stressful um so I think that's good advice um but how did you find your two years in Amsterdam generally like inside and outside of work yeah um inside of work I suppose it's one of the easiest places to move to because all of the business was conducted in English and uh if you know any Dutch people you know that their English is better than most British people so that there was no language barrier that made it a lot easier I mean culturally it's interesting because you always assume well, I always assumed that people in Western Europe were very very similar but there are you know you get when once you dig beneath the surface there are there are different things and you know Dutch people are incredibly direct British people are not so that took it, it took me a while um to grow a thick skin there <laughs> with some of my interactions um but it I mean it was yeah, it, it was hugely valuable to be able to get a different cultural perspective. I and mean, we're a global company anyway, so um, I have many different nationalities on my team. I work with many different nationalities, but to actually be immersed in it um, was a real development opportunity. I mean, outside of work, it was it was pretty lonely at first. I'll be honest, it was a big culture shock. But you know, I love the city. You get to know people. Um, uh, yeah, it was a it was a really good experience having that international time yeah and and yeah it's something that i'd recommend as well um but yeah, would you recommend it to other people yeah i i would um you know as we were saying i probably said don't change everything at once it it's um it's stressful uh, and it can make you you know, doubt your abilities because you just you're, you're thrown into it um but absolutely i think from a career perspective having international experience is probably a must if you want a really senior career um and it, it really does you know it sounds really cliche to say it opens your mind but it, it does um it, it does and I think I'm a more empathetic empathetic person as a result of it good good to know um going back to what you were saying about um gaining the more commercial experience and th I mean the whole reason behind the move effectively um because the impression I'm getting is, is you quite enjoy the technical stuff. How did you find that move? Did you miss the technical side or did you relish the opportunity to get stuck into new stuff? Yeah, I suppose I relish the opportunity because there's only so much you can learn, um, you know, in those areas. So uh, I liked seeing the other sides of it. Um, and then, of course, I think I found that it wasn't a big enough step away from my reporting background. So, you know, after a couple of years, my performance conversations with my manager started being okay well give me a P&L you know I, I want a commercial role now I want to do be really embedded in a business partnering role um which 
I know I feel lucky that I had such a, a wonderful manager because I was already quite senior. I was reporting to the Elsevier CFO as the controller and to to then put me into a, a role that was a business partner in commercial role when I didn't have any of that experience um, but would be leading a team there was um, was a gamble on his part. I mean, I hope he thinks it paid off. But, um, you you know, I, I mentioned this because that's the kind of the kind of uh, opportunity you wouldn't get if you were moving company. That's one of the, the benefits of staying with a company. Um, and. Yeah, I, I felt like I, in, you know, in order to have a really senior finance career, you need to take all of the boxes. So commercial finance was the next one. Um, and then about a year and a half ago, I moved into a finance director role where I'm business partnering with Elsevier's technology organization. So uh, pretty big budget, pretty big team. Um, and it's a, it's a commercial role. You know, we're, we're helping them with their forecast, understanding their performance any ad hoc queries, you know, modeling that they might do, and also really making sure that we're making the right resource allocation decisions around the, the investment in the product development portfolio. So completely different, not really any accounting, um, but it, again, it, it just shows how, how wide and variable a career in finance can be, I think. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and how have you found that first um, sort of finance director position? Um, I have found, you know, going into it, I thought, oh, this is a bit scary. And my team had all been in business partnering for a long time and I was coming in to lead them. So you have to be quite humble about that and respect the fact that they actually, they know a lot more about it than you do. Um, but you find your feet quite quickly. And essentially, I think most senior roles are similar and it it's all, it becomes much more about influence and soft skills than, than anything else. Um, so you, you pick it up pretty quickly. and um, yeah, I think it it's it's nice getting even closer to the business. You know, I know, I know people when they leave audit, they often want a business facing role, and I think um, there are lots of different ways you can do that. But sort of true business partnering, when you're immersed in the leadership team for a functional area of the business, and um, you're seeing their day to day challenges, and not every meeting I go to is is finance related. So um, again, it's just it's much more varied, and it also gives you some ideas. Uh, for non-financial careers that you might pursue and I know lots of people um, at Relics who have been in finance have ended up moving out into the business through this path. Mm, and just on that point then do you is there anything that you've specifically done either intentionally or, or just by sort of happenstance that has enabled you to get a really good understanding of the operations of the business obviously you've been there a while so I imagine you've got a good grasp of what they do but was is there anything that you'd sort of advise doing in order to get that real understanding I think it's just a combination of curiosity and immersion I think you have to you have to be really interested and not not just stick between the lines of what your day job is and you know be willing to spend a bit more time attending a meeting that's not directly relevant and you might think oh but I've got my month end to do and I haven't got time for this and that's fine that's that's one way of doing it but um sometimes you just you have to be willing to invest a bit more um so yeah curiosity and and just making sure that you're in the right conversations yeah um the other thing I was going to ask you you have sort of touched upon it um was the benefits of, of a long tenure within the same business obviously you said to, to paraphrase I think effectively you said you can do a good job in one area and then that 
means that people trust you to have an opportunity to do something in another area um would that be fair to say yeah absolutely i mean i think if i had gone externally and i always keep keep an eye on the market to be honest as a group controller i would have predominantly been offered other group controller roles um and unless people know you and they're willing to vouch for you they're not going to put you in something completely different at a senior level um so i think that's a huge benefit of, of staying with a company for a bit longer yeah cool and um were there any specific achievements from your time at well within the group generally that, that you wanted to draw out or have we sort of touched upon it um i mean i think my reporting role and my group controller role it probably was the implementation of the new ifrs standards a couple of years ago that was a i'm sure yeah. for most people that was a huge labor of love um in this was it all three that impacted you or uh, just 15 and 16, the, the revenue and the leases, but that was enough, trust me. Um, yeah, and then, you know, my current role, I've been doing a lot of work with the business, um, the product and tech teams in order to help encourage innovation um, and, and making sure that the financial rules and the governance is, is streamlined in a way that helps people focus on the right things in terms of investment portfolio and investment decisions. So that, that's been really interesting um, and, and should help the business going forward. And I think also, you know, I've worked with some fantastic teams and being able to see people on those teams develop and especially where I put people in roles that perhaps they didn't have the confidence um, to do and, and they've really thrived has, has, has been wonderful to see as well. And um, yeah, just to see people develop has been fantastic. Um, all right, well, just before we start to wrap up then, what advice would you give to aspiring finance professionals, Laura? So, first of all, I would say, you know, plan your career. No one else is going to do it for you. Um, but be flexible. Um, in my experience, a horizontal move is often as valuable as a vertical one, um, sometimes even more. You know, unless you're going into a really niche subject, there isn't a career ladder. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't go up like that. You have to move around. You have to broaden your experience. Take roles that that aren't, you know, the job title isn't a big promotion, but it, it will, um, it shows willing and also it will give you a much more uh, broader experience base in the long run, which will help you. Um, I would say sponsors. People talk about sponsors a lot. They're different to mentors because they're they're not people that are sort of giving you advice sessions. They're people that will vouch for you when opportunities and things come up. So having a network of sponsors throughout the business has been key to me for finding new opportunities. Um, and you know, people often ask how you get sponsors, and I, I think to be honest, most of my sponsors are people I used to work for or their bosses. And um, in order to sort of collect those sponsors, you just have to be someone that reliably delivers. It's quite, it's honestly quite straightforward. Um, if people are going to put their reputations on the line for you, you you have to be someone that they know won't mess it up. Um, and unfortunately, you know, good reputations are hard won and easily lost. So um, be that be that person that delivers, and and you'll find the sponsors come to you. Uh, and then I would say also be aware and I wish I had been more aware when I was at the beginning of my career that the skills that will get you into a management position and then a leadership position aren't the skills that will make you a great manager or a great leader it's quite cool really I mean when you're 
at the beginning of your career, it's all about the technical foundation. And whether that's technical accounting or being really good at systems or being a fantastic you know, business partner or FP&A person, it, it's all about how well you can do that. Um, but then you get promoted and those skills are a given. I mean, they're incredibly important. You can't not have them, but you don't get kudos for them anymore. Um, and it switches. And to be a good manager and eventually a good leader, it's more about the soft skills, I think. So, you know, you need to be a fantastic communicator. You need to have enough empathy and emotional intelligence that you can influence people because it, it becomes much more about that than being able to um, churn out a really fantastic report. Yeah. I, think, I think that was three, wasn't it? <laughs> Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, because I was going to ask the, the three key attributes, but I was going to say, I think you've covered it. Um, the, the oh, point... I think, um, so I think that attributes, I would say probably a little bit different because I think. Um, yeah, I, I think I would say that, you know, we talked about communication and that's that's really, really important. But in yeah. terms of attributes for a successful career, um, I think you need a lot of resilience. Um, and to sort of champion yourself because quite a few people and, and me personally suffer from this sort of idea of imposter syndrome from time to time um, and I know that a lot of confident and um, capable people or, you know, that I work with suffer from that too so having that internal resilience and um, fighting your internal barriers uh, is really important um, and I would also just add that I think it's really important to have a sense of humour and be an optimistic person because no one wants to work with the, you know, the guy that, you know, is always negative and um, always finds 10 reasons why something can't be done. You know, that's really draining after a while. And career in finance is tough. It's a high, high pressure environment a lot of the time. So, yeah, having a good sense of humour is absolutely key. Yeah, good. Um, just going back to one thing that you said mm -hmm. there. Um, on the, the being flexible, you said something about the, the lateral moves can be as valuable as a vertical move. Um, so would you say that it's important to not always think about salary uplifts as well in, in the short term um, and, and look at the opportunities that you, you're going to get? Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, most people aren't in the position where they can take a pay cut. I think that's realistic. But in terms of not expecting a huge step up, um, you know, I think you have to have a little bit of faith that that will come when you've got all of the right experience. You know, you're not going to get a 25% pay rise with every step up. Um, That'd be nice though, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would be nice. You know, yeah. at, the same, at the same time, I'd say sort of know your worth and, and remember that when you get a new role, whether that's internally or externally, that's the key time to negotiate because it's much harder when you've been in a role for a year and you say, actually, I wasn't really happy with the salary. Can we go back and look at it? You, you know, you, you've lost at that point. It does happen, but um, you've got to make sure you're happy at the beginning. But you, you can't just expect to keep being promoted and keep getting huge pay rises over the course of a long career. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, Laura, well, look, been really good to talk to you and, and hear about your career. Um, hope you enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, it was, uh, it was great to speak to you. Thank you. Thanks, Laura. So that was Laura Crespi. I hope you enjoyed listening to Laura's story. Uh, key themes that were mentioned were that in industry, you have to fight for your own career. To get to CFO, uh, you need both operational and commercial finance experience, as well as reporting. 
and you need a network of sponsors within any business. Um, not the same as mentors, uh, but you need them to be reliable and to, to give you the backing that you need to progress within the business. Her three key attributes that have got her to where she is today were communication, resilience and a sense of humour. As always, don't forget to subscribe, share and comment. Uh, you can also watch recent interviews and this interview on my YouTube channel. Thanks.